Chapter Thirteen of Oscar Wilde: The Story of an Unhappy Friendship by Robert Sherard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. I shall always remember as one of the most painful episodes of my life the afternoon of the day on which Oscar Wilde's first trial closed. Dreading what news the evening might bring, I had made no arrangement to be informed of it from London, and had determined to spend those fateful hours in silence, retirement, prayer, and hope. However, soon after midday, an Englishman came to my house to tell me that a telegram was expected from the Old Bailey in the course of the afternoon at an English bar in the St. Honoré quarter, and suggested that we should go there and wait for the news. There are times when one takes a perverse delight in going to meet distress of mind, possibly because one flatters oneself that he has abundant resources of courage and resistance with which to face it. I went accordingly, and, amidst pothouse surroundings, waited with the anxiety of one the life of whose dearest friend is at stake. A coarse crowd of Englishmen, journalists, bookmakers and racing touts surrounded the bar, which, in the exhilaration and excitement of the hour, did excellent trade. Bets as to the verdict were freely made, though from the odds offered there seemed to be but little doubt of a conviction. An incomprehensible hostility animated the conversation against the prisoner, yet almost without exception those who so discoursed were past masters in every form of vice. The lewd faces, flushed with alcohol, mouthing imprecations against the unhappy man, at that moment in such dire straits, suggested a picture such as Goya might have painted of a dream of the corridors of hell. Filthy jests were bandied over the clinking tumblers. There was more deliberate vice engendered in that hour than many an unconscious madman crowds into his whole irresponsible career. At last the blue envelope was handed over the bar counter the eagerly expected telegram from the old bailey it was torn open perused with gloating eyes and flung down with an oath of bitter disappointment the trial was over the jury had disagreed and the presumption was that a soul had been snatched from perdition in the odious clamour of balked cruelty that arose hope within me began to lift its head and i hastened off to communicate with my friend leaving the rest to discuss the chance that a fresh trial would be ordered and that the man might yet be crushed it was not till the following night that i received news from him a telegram brief and ominous still in holloway oscar which seemed to confirm what i had heard in the course of the day namely that by the peak of the treasury council at a hasty word from the defence in the flush of its partial success a new trial was to be proceeded with and a fresh period of torture had opened before us yet in consolation there was the rumour that the prison gates would soon be opened and that though substantial bail would be exacted so that appearances might be safeguarded and popular clamour appeased it would be fixed at a sum which could easily be raised by the prisoner's friends which implied that the authorities though obliged to continue the prosecution were anxious to give the prisoner a chance to end the scandal and ensure his own safety by fleeing the country and indeed there never has been a doubt in my mind that if he had left england when he had the occasion to do so he would have won the gratitude of every official from the home secretary downwards and i am not speaking on supposition only the subsequent vindictiveness with which he was treated was the reparation officially exacted from him for an attitude which was a credit to himself and an honour to his friends. As soon as it was known in Paris that he had been released on bail, 
the nightmare faces which had become familiar on the boulevards were seen to peep and peer but he gave no sign and all one knew of his doings was from the reports in the papers which one day placed him here and next day showed him there from the mendacious tales we read a poignant feeling grew upon me that his dubious triumph had turned his head that he was flaunting his notoriety with display defying public opinion with an unconsciousness which was inconceivable to those who knew his real character and then late one night i was aroused by the arrival of a telegram from some friends of his asking me to come to london to take him into the country i confess that it occurred to me that another service was required of me that one preposition had been purposely substituted for another but i did not pause to reflect i threw a few things into a bag and leaving my home and my occupations to console themselves for my absence in the best way they could devise i took the early train to london i was at the garden or fully an hour before the train started and never did a journey appear longer to me i was met at victoria by one of the friends who had telegraphed to me and learned from him that the message meant just what it said oscar wilde was in london and in such a state of neurosis that it was thought it would be good for him to go into the country pending the day on which he would have to surrender a companion being necessary i had been thought of it was suggested that we should go up the river together it was in chelsea again that i met my friend whom i had last seen superb in prosperity and luxury in that same quarter but how changed and under conditions how different i do not know of many incidents in the lives of distinguished men more tragic than those which occurred during the first hours of oscar wilde's regained liberty i was deeply impressed by their horror and i afterwards spoke of them to two friends hall Caine and edmund de goncourt the english novelist found the story so horrible that i think one finds an echo of it in his account of the martyrdom of john storm monsieur de goncourt transferred it to his diary le journal de goncourt but added certain comments and details for which i disclaim all responsibility on leaving the prison after his bail had been accepted he had driven to a hotel it was late in the evening two rooms were engaged for him and dinner was ordered just as he had sat down to table the manager roughly entered the room and said you are oscar wilde i believe then he added you must leave the house at once from this hotel he drove to another in a distant part of london where he was not known nor recognised he had sunk down exhausted on the bed of the room he had engaged when the landlord appeared he had been followed from his last refuge by a band of men prize-fighters and had been denounced in the hall below the landlord expressed his regret but insisted on his leaving the men say they will sack the house and raise the street if you stay here a moment longer at last long past midnight willie wilde in his mother's house in oakley street heard a feeble rap at the front door opening it he saw his brother who white as death reeled forward into the passage give me shelter willie he cried let me lie on the floor or i shall die in the streets he came like a hunted stag said poor willie and fell down on the threshold he had been there ever since there where he should be with his own people who loved him whilst the lying papers were inventing a fool's progress for him in fashionable resorts he was waiting in utter prostration just waiting that awful night of the cruel chase from the prison gates to his mother's humble roof had revealed the true aspect of his position to him i think he never hopes again 
my friend was in bed when i reached oakley street and after a while i was shown up to his room it was a poorly furnished room in great disorder he was lying on a small camp bedstead in a corner between the fireplace and the wall and in a glass on a mantelpiece was an arum lily sere and yellow which drooped lamentably down over his head his face was flushed and swollen his voice was broken he was a man altogether collapsed i sat down on the bed and took his hand in mine and tried to comfort him i remember that i made him laugh by speaking of die wilde jacket a stupid play of words no doubt which however affected its purpose of bringing some life into the apathetic face and in reference to this german poem i asked him if he remembered how he had beguiled the tedium of the journeys during his lecture tour in england by studying that language with a copy of the reise bilder and a little pocket dictionary and i asked has not a new reise bild been suggested to you he made no answer only a gesture that he was too exhausted to do anything but lie inert and after a while he asked me oh why have you brought me no poison from paris he frequently repeated this question not only that evening but on many following days not i am sure because he had really ever any wish to commit suicide but because the alliteration of the phrase pleased his ear it irritated mine under the circumstances for i did not think the time opportune for insincerity and posturings and one day i said it is very easy to make prussic acid if you really wish to kill yourself i had a friend in paris who distilled a mash of bitter almonds which you can procure at any grocer's over a spirit lamp with a little retort affixed whilst the stuff was brewing he lay on his bed and smoked cigarettes we found the stumps of eight or nine when we broke into the room he was dead on the floor however i added prussic acid is by no means always so rapid in its effect as is generally believed i looked the subject up on your behalf this afternoon at the club and i find that there have been cases where death has only ensued forty minutes after the absorption of this poison forty minutes of indescribable agony i visited him every day and stayed with him almost all the time when the subject of flight was discussed i declared that in my opinion it was the best thing that he could do not only in his own interests but in those of the public also and i offered to take the whole care and responsibility of the evasion on my shoulders with all the odium that would afterwards attach to me if i were accused said montaigne i quoted of stealing the towers of notre dame cathedral the first thing i should do would be to cross the frontier you have stood one trial and the fact that you have been released on bail shows that they want you to go as a matter of fact he was at no time under observation of which by various counter-police manoeuvres i was able to convince myself and could have left england in open day at any time up to the last day of his second trial when to-day i read in the fashionable gazettes of the movements of people who involved in the same scandal were wise enough to leave the country or see in piccadilly radiant now and serene those awful faces that flecked the boulevards then with patches of pale terror and think of what he endured and to what an end his endurance brought him i do not regret that i urged upon him to avoid a second trial and to flee the country which was mutely beseeching him to go yet i cannot deny that here also my egotism betrayed itself i could not bear to face the prospect of his conviction for i felt assured that the disgrace and the suffering of imprisonment would kill a friend who in his misfortune had become dearer than ever to me 
but imitative of great men in their whims and fancies he refused to imitate the base in acts which he deemed cowardly i do not think he ever seriously considered the question of leaving the country and this in spite of the fact that the gentleman who was responsible for almost the whole amount of the bail had said it will practically ruin me if i lose all that money at the present moment but if there is a chance even of conviction in god's name let him go this young man was one of the beautiful figures in the valpurgis night crowd that comes up before one's eyes when one thinks of those days i saw him last standing by the dock in the old bailey whilst sentence was being passed and there were tears in his eyes he had been in no way involved in the wretched business he had only had a casual acquaintance with the prisoner but there were reasons for which his high sense of honour prompted him to come to his side and to help him to the utmost of his power a great name a wife and children and a meagre competence he risked them all from a feeling of duty he is in stature a little man but he has a great heart and at a time when humanity filled one with nausea he showed how good how sweet how beautiful a man can be it may have been to some extent out of consideration for him that oscar wilde refused to forfeit his bail but the main impulse unless it were unconsciousness of guilt such as characterises a number of cerebral disorders of the epileptiform variety was self-respect or pride i could not bear life he said if i were to flee i cannot see myself slinking about the continent a fugitive from justice his brother willie took up the same attitude on the question oscar will not run away he said he is an irish gentleman and he will stay to face the music in oakley street there were great hopes of an acquittal based on the result of the first trial it was not then known that on that occasion one juryman alone had stood out against his eleven colleagues who without discussion wished to convict this juror it appears had once previously sat on a jury which had convicted an innocent man on such evidence as was brought against wilde and he had vowed that he never would convict upon such evidence again for myself i could form no opinion if i was able to convince myself by what i heard on every side that never had public hatred blazed fiercer against any man and that it was humanly impossible to expect to find twelve men in london who would come to sit on a jury with unbiased minds or with the moral courage necessary to resist the pressure of public opinion i felt on the other hand so incredulous of my friend's guilt an incredulity greatly strengthened by my fresh association with him that it seemed to me that he must produce the same impression on everybody else who saw him and heard him and that on his trial the jury would be incredulous also as to him he never referred to the past in my presence and the only words he said which might have been construed into an admission were these fortune had so turned my head that i fancied i could do whatever i chose End of chapter thirteen